From Nashville, Tennessee, Southwestern Family of Companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, we share insights and inspiration for movers and shakers in the world of business. Our goal is to help you increase your self-discipline, overcome procrastination, and help you to take action on all the things that really matter. Storytelling and servant selling. That is what we are talking about today. How do we connect through the power of story? This is sort of a theme that we're continuing on from last week with Donald Miller, although this week we have another New York Times bestselling author, one of the great uh, books of all time, The Go-Giver. John David Mann is here. He's the co-author of that book, and he's talking about how does he connect with characters? How does he develop these characters? And what is his process for telling great stories? And then what we're going to do is we're going to translate that to sales and leadership, to how learning to fall in love with characters the way that a writer would fall in love with their characters, if we can learn to fall in love with our prospects and our team members in that same way, how that will transform your ability to persuade and influence and create amazing, amazing results for you and all of the people around you. So we're going to have the interview, and then at the end, what we're going to talk about is I'm going to share with you the four questions to empathy. These are four specific questions. It's sort of a journey that you have to go on that if you if you answer these four questions about any person that you're talking to, any person you're selling to, any person that you're leading, or any fictitious character that you're developing for a, a story or a speech or whatever, that if you go through these four questions, it will create the power of a empathy, which will create the power of connection, which will create the power of emotion, which gives you a chance to tell a great story and move people to action. So it's a great episode. So glad you're here. We'll get started just after this message. This episode is sponsored by Southwestern Coaching. Southwestern Coaching has helped over 11,000 people increase their incomes by over 25% on average. As a successful salesperson, you know the importance of increasing your sales, but sometimes you might just need a little extra push and accountability to meet your goals and grow your business. Southwestern Coaching will help you increase your income through one-on-one sales and leadership coaching tailored specifically to your needs. Together, we will elevate sales. To schedule your free one-on-one business action planning session with a Southwestern Coach, Go to www.southwesternconsulting.com forward slash action catalyst. His name is John David Mann. Um, now, John and, and I sort of you know became buddies over the years, and he's also the co-author of The Go-Giver. So we've had Bob Berg on the show. That was his co-author. The Go-Giver uh, has sold uh, like more than a half a million copies in a couple dozen languages. And I have to admit, I admitted this to John before the show, I hadn't read it. I've been on my list to read for a long time. And I read it, I don't know, maybe six months ago. And I emailed Bob and I said, man, this book is, 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 is in my top three of all time. And, uh, you know, after you take out like, you know, the Bible and the, and the obvious, you know, at the top, but you go, it was just an incredible book. And I'm so excited because if you know about The Go-Giver, it's a fable. And John David Mann has done it again. He has another fable that is 
just coming out. Uh, he, it's The book is called The Recipe. We're going to talk a little bit about that. His co-author uh, is not here with us, but it's worth mentioning his name is Chef Charles Carroll, um, who was an eight-time uh, uh, world champion on uh, in in cooking, right? So, uh, anyways, we'll get more about that. So, anyways, John, welcome back. Welcome back into my life, and welcome to the show, brother. It's good to see you. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, greetings, Papa. It's great to be here. <laughs> so, so t- tell me, so tell me a little bit about. Uh, well, well, let's talk. Well, let's talk about the recipe in a little bit. So, so I, I want to talk about the Go Giver for a second, and it's just it's ironic that you reached out to me. Like I said, I hadn't read it, and man, it is a. Uh, phenomenal book. Um, we are, you know, like the, the sales, the group of salespeople that I work with is like now a mandatory reading. We're all going through, this is, this is it. Um, but there's a story behind the go-giver in terms of getting it published that I don't think most people know. Can you talk to that a little bit? Sure. Well, first I'd like to say that Bob Berg ruined my career. <laughs> and so here's what happened. I had a plan at the time, but going back 2003, 2004, 2005, I had a plan, which was that I was going to Hollywood. I was going to be a screenwriter. I was going to be a successful writer of scripts for films. That was my plan. You know, they, there's this expression that life is what happens when you're making other plans, but there's this even better expression, which is that if you want to make God laugh, you make Tell a plan. <laughs> I, the other day, I cataloged all of the greatest blessings in my life. I, I, I totted them up on a piece of paper, and then I asked how many of those came about as the direct result of a plan of mine, and I came to a grand total of zero. <laughs> the go-giver, my wife, so many of the great things in my life. Um, you know, I didn't plan those. I'm grateful that they happened. Uh, uh, and I'm not saying we shouldn't make plans, because I think we should. Plans are great. Goals are great. But there's also this thing called the world, which comes back and uh, and surprises us. So uh, I was on my way to Hollywood, and Bob contacted me and said, hey, I have this idea for a book. I had edited some of Bob's stuff before. I how did I you meet? I was going to ask you, how did you guys even meet? Because to me, uh, that was like a kind of a weird connection. Exactly the same way you and I did. I mean, uh, Bob wrote some articles for the journal I was editing. I edited his stuff. You know, I edited everybody's stuff. And most people just, you know, didn't even think about it. But a few people would write to the journal and say, hey, who edited this? Because it's much better than when I submitted it. And that was Bob. He, he contacted me and said, hey, you, you write my stuff better than I write my stuff. <laughs> That's his joke about me. So... Uh, we became fast friends. You know, how could you not become fast friends with Bob Berg, uh, such a wonderful man? And he contacted me and said, listen, I got this idea for a book, but I can't write this book. It's not the kind of thing I do. I need you to write it with me. This is not a, a how-to book. It's a story. And it's called The Go-Giver. And I thought, I don't see this. <laughs> This is a distraction, man. I'm on my way to Hollywood. I'm busy. I have a life and I had no time for this. But I told my fiance, I said, look, it's Bob. And and I can't just say no. Um, I got to give it a listen if, if Bob says it. So, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's the, the moral of the story. Listen to, your, listen to your smart friends. We went and we visited Bob, sat down for a bit, chatted about the book. I came back home and I found a couple of days with some free time. I started noodling around with the, the drafts that Bob had sent me and the stuff he'd given me. And I started writing a scene that uh, turned out to be the, the scene where Deborah Davenport speaks to an auditorium full of people about authenticity. And, and I, I, this, it was like this thing came to life on the page. And I thought, holy cow, this is real. 
And, and I contacted Bob and said, hey, hey, give this a read. And he wrote back and said, wow. So we went back and forth. Uh, I shot him ideas. He shot notes back to me. And in six weeks, we had a draft. Wow. Six weeks. It was. Yeah, we had our we had our book. And uh, by a, a, a long, circuitous route, it's a story that I, we can't get into now, but but we, we managed to, to find a literary agent, which which was uh, one of those wild serendipity stories that, you know, makes you want to say coincidence with air quotes. Um, we got an agent. She took it to New York and it was rejected a dozen times. Wow. And, uh, you know, we all know these stories like Chicken Soup for the Soul, Jack Campion, Mark Victor Hansen, or like Kentucky Fried Chicken, where, you know, Harlan Sanders took his chicken recipe around the country to like a million restaurants or whatever the story is. And rejection after rejection after rejection. And we all know these stories because the moral of the story is always what? It's always you keep knocking, keep knocking and eventually somebody will answer the door. Believe in your dream, believe in yourself, because sooner or later, you will, you will overcome, you will see it through. Well, yeah, sort of. That's, I think that's valid, but I don't think it's the whole story. And here's why. Those first dozen publishers that turned us down, they were right. Hmm. Uh, if one of those 12 had said, yeah, we'll take your book and published it, Rory, you would never have read it. Nobody on this this uh, call would have ever ever uh, uh, heard of it because it wouldn't have gone very far because it wasn't ready. It really wasn't. It, it should have been turned down. And I mean, I think and I think sometimes the world says no to us not because our idea is bad uh, or what we have doesn't have value, but maybe just because our delivery needs to be more polished or there's something about the idea that hasn't fully matured or fully taken shape or there's some pieces missing or, or whatever. The growth isn't finished. The refiner's fire hasn't taken hold. There's something that's still missing in the recipe. So we took that book back and... and that's such spent, a valuable lesson. I mean, it? that's like just huge, right? Because you think about, oh, persistence, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, that, that, and, and. you're being shaped. You're being yes. prepared. You're, yes. you're, you're, you're being molded. That's... Very you know, huge. Nobody knows your heart the way you do. Nobody knows your mission and your vision like you do, except that the that the world, there are elements of the world that know you better than you know yourself. <laughs> there, are, there are people around you, uh, trustworthy people. There, you know, sometimes you just need to keep one ear open. Um, and so we took the book back and we completely revised it. We, we threw out the original last chapter and this whole new chapter where Claire comes in and she meets Joe a year later. And that's all brand new. That wasn't in the first draft. Um, we took a character whose name was Raphael and lo and behold, he became Rachel, uh, Rachel's famous coffee. We, we changed a lot. Oh, that was a guy? That was a guy named Raphael. And you know what? It's oh much better as Rachel. <laughs> yeah, that Rachel. I mean, Rachel's through all through the whole book. Yeah, Raphael's uh, famous coffee just doesn't quite cut the mustard. But a lot of what we did with the, with the existing manuscript, honestly, was simplifying, was, was taking things out more than adding things in. In any case, nine months later, we went back to New York. We got a dozen more rejections, but this time we thought, no, 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 no. We're ready. This is, this is, you know, this is good. This is going to work. And number 23 was Adrian Zakheim, publisher at Portfolio, uh, mm -hmm. the house under Penguin. And Adrian's a dear friend. And here it is 10 years later, more than half a million copies. And, and the book has done well, but it, it was, 
It was a journey. It was a journey just, just, you know, there's, there's a, there's a point, there's a passage in the book, The Recipe, where the chef says to the young boy, and we'll get to them, he says, uh, sometimes people, you know, people applaud you when you get to the finish line. What they don't see is how hard it was just to get to the starting line. And that was the story with the go-giver. That is so good. People applaud you at the finish line. Say that again. People applaud you at the finish line. People applaud you when you reach the finish line. What they don't see, what the world will never see, is how hard it was just to get to the starting line. Yeah, I'm writing it down. That is so good. Um so there you are, rejection after rejection, you made it. Uh, man, Adrian Zakheim, I, it's funny, I hear his name a lot in the publishing world. I feel like, you know, uh, I, I hear that a, a lot. And um, so why do you write in fables? Because the recipe, so we're going to talk about that here in a second, a little bit about the recipe, because I want to hear about your co-author and all that stuff. But why why do you write in fables? Like, why don't you, and I know you were going to be a screenwriter. I know you do lots of writing, right? Like the different types. But, but why are these... Why do you? Why don't you just go like, hey, hey, here's five lessons to whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, because I do other books. I mean, I've written memo- people's memoirs, and I got, I've done five books with this uh, uh, former Navy SEAL sniper, Brendan Webb, and that's really a great partnership. Um, and, and I've written business books that are, you know, your basic non fiction how to, you know, seven lessons for this and five lessons for that. But here's what I believe. Um, I, I, and the go giver was an accident in my life in the sense that I didn't plan it. It came to me. Um, since then, Bob and I have written The Go Giver Leader, which is another story. And this takes place in the same universe. And we have a, another one coming out next spring, uh, Go Giver Influencer, which is yet another story, another fable. Uh, and, and, you know, here's the recipe. And I'm, I'm working on others as we speak. So I've kind of fallen into this form, which I've just fallen in love with. But, you know, it, it, I come from a sales background. Actually, I don't. I come from a music background. But I spent years in direct sales. Uh, uh, and... and you know, one of the things I learned there was that it's the same thing I learned when I was in education, which is that all real teaching, all effective teaching takes place through stories. Mm. And all effective stories take place through emotion. You know, the old expression, uh, facts tell, but stories sell. I'm not sure if stories sell. We, Bob and I say this in the book, Go Givers Sell More. I'm not sure if, if, if stories sell, what stories do is they connect. You know, and once you connect, as a salesperson, once you connect, well, the person buys. You don't have to sell. The person buys. What your job is to connect. I mean, that isn't your entire job. I don't want to oversimplify it. But the thing about a story is that it, it makes a person-to-person connection. It's real. So the thing about fables, and you know, in, in, they're in a lot of circles in the, in the literary world and in the book world. A lot of, and even in the business world, a lot of business, accomplished business people look down on parables and fables and say, Ugh, I hate those books. And I understand why. There's a lot of fables out there in the marketplace that are, you know, a little bit sort of two-dimensional and they're kind of flat. And they're not that, you know, they're a little bit cardboard. To me, the stories that really work, the, the people in there are real. They have struggles. They, they go through pain. They have genuine feelings that you, that you connect with and you, you root for. A book like The Alchemist or like The Little Prince or like The Richest Man in Babylon or The Greatest Salesman in the World or, you know, these classic books like this, they, these are like mini novels. They're like little miniatures, but they're real stories of real characters that you feel for. 
And there's something about that, Rory, that I, I just love. You know, when I write a book like this, I have to fall in love with the character and, and their situation in order to get through the story. I, I can't just do it by formula or blueprint or rote. It's, it's not a dressed up PowerPoint. You know, to me, that doesn't work. It's got to be character first. And I forget about the principle because I know, you know, it's me writing it. What I think and what I believe is always going to come through. So the principles will be there. Um, wow. You know, that's like I've never made this connection, but the way that you're describing the characters that you write is the same way that an actor would describe the characters that they be, that they become. That is so true. It's funny. The other day, somebody asked me, when you're writing a story, who are you thinking about? And they were you know, asking, who, who is my audience? Who's my readership? I said, I'm not thinking about anybody. I'm being that character. I, I've never been a film actor, but I, I think you're exactly right. I, I, I imagine that if I were going to you know, play Gandhi or Nelson Mandela or Ray Kroc or somebody like, like these famous film actors do, I think it would feel a lot like what it feels like to become Joe or become Pindar or the, the boy in this book, Owen. You know, in, in the book, The Recipe, that, that, we're, that we, uh, we're sort of phasing into talking about next, there's two main characters. There's the seeker, who's this young boy, Owen. He's age 14. His father has just died. He's torn up inside, angry at the world. And then there's this old mentor. There's this crusty old kind of unreadable diner chef. He, he, who he crosses paths with, with, and, uh, learning ensues in the kitchen. It becomes the karate kid, you know, meets master chef kind of thing. Right, right, right. And, and isn't uh, it, it's kind of, doesn't it? It's Owen kind of gets into trouble, right? So then he, he kind of yes. gets into a little bit of trouble. And then as a part of him getting, he starts doing some not so good stuff. And then he finds his way to meet this, to meet this chef. Well, you know, he doesn't know what really why he threw the rock that broke that warehouse window, but he, but what to him it feels like punishment that to pay for his act of vandalism, he's sent to work for the owner of the property who turns out to be this crusty old chef. So, you know, it, it's this, is this stroke of fate where that, that rock, you know, he, he thought it would make him feel better. It didn't, but it set in, in, in motion a, a chain of events that, that changed his life. So he goes to work for the chef, and he's not too thrilled about it. The chef is, is kind of an uncompromising, unbending, formidable figure. And, you know, in the course of it, he, he learns lessons in the kitchen that turn out to be lessons about living. But here's the point I wanted to make. On the face of it, the book is about the boy. Now, most of us didn't lose our fathers at age 14. I know I didn't. But we've all gone through something painful. We've all had some kind of heartache, so we can all identify with him somewhat. It's a, book, it's a book about this boy trying to get through struggle in his life. I fell in love with the boy the moment Chef Charles pitched me the idea for the story. I said, oh, this kid just rips my heart out. I got to write about him. It was only in the process of writing the book that I began saying, like, who is this chef? Who's the old guy? Uh, uh, and he became, for me, really, in a way, an even more interesting character because he, he's not a static figure. He has some growth to do as well. And in a way, the book is kind of a handbook on mentoring. Yeah, um, yes, it's a book about Owen's journey, but it's also a book about the chef's journey. Um, and, I, and I think that's probably what it's like to be an actor. As, as you learn the part and play the part, you start to really find out, who, who is this person? Wow. I mean, this is, you know, when I think of... 
so 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 we're running out of time and i'm like ah i got all these things i want to ask you um okay let's talk about story okay because that's what i'm gonna i'm gonna tie this together a little bit i think for our listeners after after the interview because but but this is so powerful about you're talking about the characters and i want to make the connection for that for everybody here in in a in the debrief but just a little bit more about the story. So what are the elements that make up a great story? Because, you know, I feel like you know, here we are talking with you, you know, one of the great writers of our time, master storyteller, and there's a lot we can say about using stories later, but what is is that what the story is all about? Is it all about the characters? Is it, is just, is it, it is. emotion? Is it- it's all about the characters. It's all about the, the direction. And basically a story a story works like this. Somebody wants something. And there's a problem. That's it right there. That's the story. And you know, to to um, it's this. It's true in the Go Giver. It's Joe at the beginning. He's a seeker. He wants something, and there's a problem. The story is about how you get through the problem. Um, you know, let me just take this. I know we're we're in a timeline, but take this real quickly into the dimension of sales. When you're selling, when you're in that in that sphere, you know, it's easy to approach a, a prospective customer with this idea of what do I have to say? What's my product? What's my what's my service? What's my pitch? What's my line? What's my what are my values? What am I offering? What's what do, what do I have a value for them? What do I have? Here's what I used to train my people in my organization when I was in that field was. The number one question you want to be asking is not about yourself. It is, who is this person? I mean, to an extent, when you're a salesperson, you do exactly what I just described. You do what the the filmmaker does. You are going to step inside the shoes of that person and ask just for a moment, ask yourself, who is this person? What makes them tick? What are they telling me? What are they not telling me? What do they want? What's their pain? What's their, what's their desire? What's their interest? What do they love to do? Who do they like to hang out with? And you can't, you can't get too, you know, analytical about it necessarily. But the point is, it's empathy. It's you step inside that person's shoes. That's what allows you to make a connection. And that's where the story takes shape. The story in case of sales is somebody wants something and there's a problem. The person sitting across from you wants something. And the problem is either they don't know it or you don't know it or we haven't figured it out or there's a difficulty. You know, there's some there's some chasm to cross. And that's what you're going to do together, the two of you. That's the unfolding of your story. It's the same thing in a book. It's the same thing in a blog post. It's the same thing in a, in a movie. Yeah, so you just ruined my debrief that I was going to say at the end. <laughs> like you just, you just, oh, you oh. got there all, all on your own. That oh, was dang. like, that is, that is so good. I um, apologize deeply. So, so, uh, um, before we go, so the book is called The Recipe. It's a story of loss, love, and the ingredients of greatness. Co-authored by yourself, um, Chef Charles Carroll. Just, just quickly, who is who is he? And then also tell us where to get the book. Boy, Chef Charles Carroll is like I found another Bob Berg. Um, if you if you speak with people in the culinary world who know him, they all say they all talk about him just the way people talk about Bob Berg. Oh, what a great guy! He's just amazing. He's also a phenomenal entrepreneur. He's uh, a seven-time uh, culinary Olympian. He's been a gold medalist. Uh, president of the World Chef Society. He's commended by five U.S. presidents for his work with U.S. troops in Afghanistan. The guy's done it all, and he's been just a joy, and this continues to be a joy to uh, to work with. Uh, so I could, I could easily fill 20 minutes just talking about his life. 
The book has its own website. I mean, all my books are on my site, johndavidman.com. It's just my name.com. But we, we made a site Man for, with two N's. Man with two N's, johndavidman.com. Uh, we made a site just for this book with our, our bonus offer for pre-orders where we have some video footage of Charles cooking and us talking and so forth. And that website is theingredientsofgreatness.com. Theingredientsofgreatness.com. Uh, well, we will, we will put it there and, um, you know, John, I just wanted to, to say thank you and man, just a personal thank you for believing in me. I mean, when I think back at the list of people, I mean, you're, you're on that list of people who very early on and, uh, you know, I just, I just, I'm so grateful for you and the work that you're doing. It matters. It makes such a big difference in the world. I like it. Well, we appreciate you, man. And we wish, uh, we wish you and Charles and, uh, the recipe all the best. Thank you so much. It's great, great, great to be here. John David Mann. What a blast from the past for me and fun to reconnect with him, especially coming on the other side where I, you know, fairly recently read The Go-Giver and really loved the book. And a lot of great, I think, tweetable moments here. At John David Mann is his Twitter handle if you want to talk to him and uh, share some of the highlights that you got from him. It's Mann with two N's, so at John David Mann. Um... If you, want, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. I think that's always a great one. But I think the, one of the most powerful things that stuck out with me was rejection is a part of what prepares you. Mm, I thought that was so good. And for me, I mean, going back to knocking on doors and, uh, I mean, so many examples in my life where I've personally just experienced rejection after rejection. Also, when he talks about rejection and he was telling his story about the go-giver, this was another one of the tweetable moments that I really liked. Rejection helps you polish and mature and take shape. Rejection helps you polish and mature and take shape. I thought that was awesome. And then, of course, the one that he we stopped and, and sort of highlighted when we were going through it. People applaud you when you reach the finish line, but the world often never even sees how hard it is just to get to the starting line. And so those are great ones. And some of the other things I think that were obvious just talking about storytelling, which is what I want to transition to, is helping you maybe put this into practice in your life as a leader or an entrepreneur, as a salesperson, is just the power of story, right? And he said, all effective, te- all effective teaching takes place through story. All effective stories result from emotion, and stories help you connect. And that is so good and so powerful, and here we are kind of back-to-back episodes because we have Donald Miller and StoryBrand last week, which was awesome, and we ended up having his book launch party. We were big believers in the StoryBrand framework, which I think is cool because that was really story applied to, to marketing and you know giving you a framework to follow in how you describe your company or your service and what you do, and also selling. But I think also what... John got into was some of the, the the real emotional components of this that really apply to sales and to leadership and to convincing people and persuading people. And what I loved about it was that his whole premise was stories in terms of their ability to be effective in moving people to action. It's not about manipulation. It's not even really about persuasion or or coercion of any type for sure that it's really about empathy. Part of the power of a story 
is that it's really about empathy. And so what I wanted to do here is I want to share with you four questions to empathy, four questions that you can ask that will help you get to the place of empathy. They will help you get to where you need to be in order to move somebody to to take action, right? They're going to empower you or improve the likelihood of your ability to connect through story. So the first question, in, and, in, and here's also the overarching kind of part of this, right? And, and I loved when John talked about this. You have to fall in love with your characters. You have to fall in love with your characters. And I think that parallel was interesting how we got into talking about the way that actors fall in love with the roles that they play is the same way that writers fall in love with the characters they are describing. I also think that transposes and translates to salespeople fall in love with who? Their prospects. They they become obsessed with their prospects in terms of helping their prospects. The same is true for leaders, right? What makes a great leader? They become obsessed with their team. So you have to learn to fall in love with the character. So who is the character? The character, if you're in sales, is your prospect. The character, if you're a leader, is your quote unquote followers. It's your it's your subordinates or whatever you wanna, whatever you wanna say. It's the people that you are leading. And you have to learn to fall in love with them. So how do we do that? How do you go about falling in love with other people? Because that's not just a sales thing or a leadership thing, right? That's a, that's a person thing. That's a human thing. So these are four questions I think that will help you do that. So number one question is to think about and ask yourself, what is it like to be this person? That simple. What is it like to be this person? So here's some subset thoughts or questions of, of this number one. Think about what, what are the, their biggest daily struggles? And this is something that I think about every time before I go out on stage. I, when I'm standing behind the curtain, I look out at the audience and I will just pick out somebody in the audience and I will just look at them, and they, they can't really see that I'm looking at them, but I will look at not the whole sea of people. I look at one person, and I spot them, and I just think about, I wonder what it's like to be him or to be her. I wonder what their biggest daily struggles are. And you just kind of think, and, and in a weird way, it's like your mind kind of automatically creates this story about them. And of course, the, the purpose isn't necessarily to be accurate. The power of this is that it creates connection. Even with somebody that I don't directly talk to, maybe one-on-one, I think this as a, as a technique or strategy, if you want to say in terms of connection, it really, really works. When you think about what are their biggest daily struggles, or another thing that I often think about is what obstacles has this person likely had to overcome in their past. That gives you a tremendous sense of connection. It creates a tremendous feeling or sensitivity to who that person is. When you start asking, 
what obstacles have they had to likely overcome? Because most of us don't ever think about that, right? We just, we process people as they affect us. We pay attention to people as they intersect in our lives. But part of the exercise of doing this is getting outside of ourselves and going into somebody else's life and just sitting with it for a moment, right? There's, there's not anything you have to do with it. It's not about being accurate or inaccurate. It's just kind of thinking, gosh, I wonder what it's like to be this person. I wonder what this person is struggling with. I wonder what are the challenges that this person has had to, to likely overcome to be who they are and to be where they are. And that is tremendously powerful for establishing this this empathy and for falling in love with your character. And if you're a writer, like John is, he's doing the same thing with these these characters and they're fictitious characters. Well, in a sense, that's no different than looking at somebody in a sea of people in an audience or a random stranger in an airport or at the mall or whatever. And you're, but you're creating genuine connectivity to the emotions this person is experiencing by spending a second to think about what is it like to be them? What is, what is their life like? So that's the first thing. And I think that really creates connection. The second question to, you know, these are four questions to empathy, I guess, or also you could think about them as four questions for you know, using story or thinking about story in terms of helping you to to sell or to lead or to move people to action in whatever way. So the second question is, what dreams does this person have? What dreams do they have? Where are they trying to go? I loved what the late legendary leader at Southwestern, Spencer Hayes, used to ask people. He he would always say, "Don't ask people where they're from." Ask them where they're going, because everybody asks, where are you from? But very few people in our lives ever ask us, where are you going? What do you want to do? What is your biggest dream? What is your wildest goal? What is the thing that you would love to have come true for your life? And, you know, the old school sort of sales lingo or vernacular that we would use to describe this is you would say, well, find the, the, you know, figure out what they, what they want. And that's, that's powerful. That's what we're talking about. But it's not just, oh, I need to check a box of know what it is that they want. It's more emotional than that. And this is the, the core of servant selling. It's the essence of what true professional salesmanship looks like is actually connecting with them and going into that person's world and living in it for a second and thinking about what dreams do they have and and asking them, right? Just You can just ask them. And what a powerful opportunity and privilege and chance to get to do something for them that, that probably less than 10 people in their life will ever ask them that question. Where are you going? What do you want? What are you hoping for? What are your wildest dreams? What are your biggest goals? Like, What inspires you? What fires you up? And that creates emotion. It creates emotional connectivity to you. It creates emotional connectivity between this person and what they want. And it 
adds emotion to a story, to a relationship. And, and that's what a story is, right? It's all about the relationship between characters. And, and to use Donald's term from StoryBrand, you are the guide if you are in sales or if you're in leadership, you're the guide, but they're the hero. They're the main character. Other people are the main character. You're the, you're the supporting role. You're the supporting actor. You're there to, to just kind of help things move along. And what a powerful role to get to play in somebody else's story to ask them where are they going. Number three, question number three which is the next sort of obvious question in this journey, is what obstacles will they have to overcome to get to where they are going? So now we understand from question one who they are, who they have been, and then question number two is all about who do they want to be, where are they going, and then question number three here, which is the essence of story, is what problems do they face? What challenges are going to to are going to block them are going to interject in their way and and i think there's two types of challenges that are worth exploring one is which challenges do they know about what are the obstacles they know they're going to have to overcome but then also what challenges have they not even thought about yet and and part of the role of a guide or a salesperson or a leader or a, as a parent or as a mentor or as a coach is that you have some insight most likely into the destination that they're trying to get to. And because you've been there and you've maybe experienced it or you've studied it or you've helped other people get there, you know a little bit about what it's going to take to get to that journey. And so part of what you're doing is educating them here and just asking them. And again, the old school sales language is find the need, find the need. Well, find the need is powerful. Find the need is true. Find the need works. But when you talk about servant selling, it's not finding the need for the purpose of you being able to check a box on your list of objectives that must be accomplished in order for you to make a sale to somebody and buy money or, and get money from them. Right, that is the traditional sense of selling. Is thinking about oh, I just need to find their need so that I can then you know fill the need and then I can close. Well, there's not anything wrong with that per se, but to explore that in a little deeper sense, servant selling is about really connecting to them and understanding and caring about and empathizing and going on this journey with them and helping them understand this is what you're going to have to overcome. These are the barriers that you're going to run into. Here's the ones, what are the ones that you're aware of? Let me introduce some that you may not be aware of. And one of the best ways to do that, of course, too, is to, to introduce stories of other people or you know what we sometimes at Southwestern call third-party selling is you're introducing and telling the stories of other people who were in similar situations that they were in and, and what obstacles they had to overcome to experience the result get the transformation, arrive at the destination they were looking for. And so that is a part of what you're doing, not out of your own self-interest, but out of an interest and a passion to help the person that you are talking to or that you are selling to or that you are leading. And, and this is the power of story because the story is in the struggle. So if you're telling a third-party story, you have to tell them about what they overcame. You have to tell them about what roadblocks they came up against. 
if you're marketing your product or service, that is a part of what Donald talked about last week is that you have to highlight both the external problems and the internal problems and the philosophical philosophical problems is a, is the third one that that your customers or prospects are facing. That is the story. That is the sales presentation. That is the marketing copy. The story is in the struggle. There's power in the pain. And if you are, are a writer or if you are a speaker and you are telling your story or you're telling somebody else's story, whether it's a true story or whether it's it's like John David Mann is doing where he's writing stories about these fables of these fictitious characters, it is highlighting what the problem is. It's making their struggles real life. It's it's making them salient. It's drawing attention to them. And that is what makes characters real. And that is what creates empathy because we all relate to the struggle. We can't all relate to success because we haven't all, all been there. But we can all relate to the struggles that people are going through or at least the emotions that they are experiencing as a result of a struggle that they're going through. That is a part of our humanity. That is a part of what makes relationships so rich. And, you know, I think that's a part of what, at the end of the day, is something technology will never be able to replace is that human connection because we have the ability to experience and to feel and to relate. And because of that, we have the power to empathize, to console, to to inspire, and to move other people. And that's, you know, that's a tremendous gift and a tremendous blessing. And that's what serving looks like, which leads us, which leads us to question number four, to how do we create and maximize this empathy for the purpose of serving? Um, and again, this it's sort of the natural evolution to where we ultimately want to get to, which is how can I help? How can I help? How can I help you? What can I do for you? How can I support you? How can I serve you? How can I lift you up? How can I help you overcome these barriers? How can I help you push past these roadblocks? How can I help you persist in the face of rejection? What can I do to serve you? And you might not think of that as selling, and I guess it's really not selling in the, the, the way that people traditionally think about it, but that is what servant selling is all about. It is becoming obsessed with service, becoming truly obsessed with how can you help the other person. And there's a lot of legends of the world that exhibit or have been described or characterized in this sort of state of, a, of obsessive service. You know, I think of Mother Teresa, obviously, right? Just obsessed with serving and helping and loving other people. I think of Martin Luther King Jr. I think even in business, you think uh, when you hear stories about Sam Walton or Steve Jobs, they were obsessed with providing this solution for their customers. They were, it was, they were totally outside themselves, and that is where we want to get to. We want to get outside ourselves, get outside of, because here's what happens, right? Whenever, the, 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 the danger with our thinking is that our thinking, when we're not thinking about our thinking, our thinking starts to think on its own. 
right? When, when we're not thinking about our thinking, our thinking starts to think on its own and that's dangerous. And so what we want to do is always be mindful and intentional about how we're thinking. Well, if I'm thinking about myself and my product and my presentation, then what typically shows up is fear. But if I'm thinking about somebody else, what shows up is empathy, what shows up is compassion. If I'm thinking about, you know, if I show up in the world in a way of why I matter and why I am important and, and, and why, you know, here's what I've done and here's what I've accomplished, then it creates resistance for people. And I would really encourage you to go back and listen to the episode with Donald Miller last week about StoryBrand when we were talking about heroes and guides. Because if we're both the hero, like if, if I'm the hero, then I can't be your guide. Because all of us go through life living in the first person, right? It's, it's I am the protagonist in this story. And so if I run across other heroes, that's fine. I might like them, but I don't, they don't, they can't help me because they're too busy living their own story. But when I come across somebody who is so secure in who they are that they're not worried about and they're not expending energy trying to emit and promote themselves out into the world about how they're the hero then what happens is they have the opportunity to show up in my life as a guide, which means I have a chance to buy from them or I have a chance to learn from them or I have a chance to follow them because they are completely outside of themselves. They, they show up in my life not as somebody who is living in their own story. They show up in my life as somebody who is living in my story. They show up as somebody who can help me and, and that is the power here and that is what so few people ever do. So few people can ever get outside themselves. We can, it's, and, and, it's, and it's hard because it's, it's unnatural. Our natural way is to think about serving myself and serving my needs and going up, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. These are the things that I'm, I'm constantly after. But when you discipline yourself and when you become intentional about how can I help, how can I serve, then your f- it reduces your fear, it increases your empathy, it removes other people's resistance, it empowers their trust, and it opens the door for you to play a role in their story, for you to be a supporting role in their story where they're the lead role. But when you're the supporting role, you have a chance to help them, you have a chance to impact them, you have a chance to move them to action. It's hard to be nervous when your heart's on service. And looking out for others, being obsessed about serving them, changes everything. So do that. So go out and be focused on empathy. Be obsessed with serving. And if you do that, then you will be selling and you will be leading. Well, that about wraps up the Action Catalyst podcast for this week. If you haven't yet, please log in to whatever your favorite medium is to listen to the show and both rate this podcast and leave a comment as that helps new prospective listeners determine if the show's really a good fit for them. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, 
and screenshot this episode to share with your friends on social media. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst and subscribe to our video podcast on YouTube. Thanks for listening.